Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Holland here for another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest, Charles Seaman, today. He grew up uh, in the New York City area, spent uh, several years of his career there, and now he finds himself uh, in the Carolinas to do multifamily full-time. So Charles, it's great to have you on today. Yeah, th- thanks for having me, William. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, sir. So I- I'd love to hear a little bit more of your background, you know, uh, what you what you like to do uh, in your younger days, and how did you kind of get exposed to real estate? Yeah, so uh, you know, my my exposure to real estate probably started different than most, and it wasn't so much that I was actively seeking it out, but as I as I like to tell people, I was young, dumb, and broke, and hmm. it wasn't so much that I was looking to get into real estate, but I needed a job, and I wound up working for a guy who was, amongst other things, a commercial real estate investor and overall a serial entrepreneur, and I. I was fortunate to work very closely with him and ultimately to wind up helping him run all of his different businesses and properties. And when, when I started that job, I was 20 years old. I never went to college and I, I knew that college wasn't really the right fit for me. I was always a good student, but I never enjoyed school. And by the point that I hit my senior year in high school, I had probably more of an attendance problem than I should have. Mm. And I, I knew that college wasn't the right path, but I didn't really know what the right path was. And when I started working for this gentleman, I I didn't even know what my role would really be there. And I'm not sure that he knew either. He may have made it up as he went. So for better or worse, I I never said no to anything, which was good professionally because it led to me taking on a lot of responsibility. It led to me meeting new contacts and learning new things and being able to grow. And it also gave me an opportunity to work very closely with the guy that was very successful and, and to learn a lot from him because I, I really had the chance to, for lack of a better term, be his right-hand man. And whenever he needed something done or when he, when he needed somebody he could rely on, a lot of times he would come to me with different things and I would usually find ways to get them done. So when I first started there, my intent was to stay there for two to three years and go out and, and then eventually leave and do my own thing. And I knew I wanted to start my own business or or find my own path to success, but sometimes life happens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I guess I must've got settled in there. I started making more money. I started gaining more responsibility. Maybe I thought I was important. And, (laughs) you know, after about a decade, I started thinking to myself and I said, huh, when I first started here, I only wanted to stay two to three years. Now I've been here about a decade. So it had me rethinking life and just rethinking a lot of things and saying, okay, is this something I want to do the rest of my life? And, you know, as I looked at the options, and I, I weighed them. I said, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not rich. I'm not poor, but, you know, I make a decent living and I'll never be broke if I stay here. Uh, there's a good chance that I'll probably have a job for the foreseeable future. So mm-hmm. there was definitely some stability. But then the other part of me said, it's not really what I wanted to do. You know, I always wanted to to chart my own course and, and and steer my own ship. And little by little, I started working towards that. You know, around that time, I started looking at single family and wholesaling. And I quickly determined, you know, two things. One, I didn't really like that. And two, I, didn't, I wasn't good at. Mm. And, you know, so then I took a step back and I went and, and reevaluated things again. 
And about a year later, 2016, I discovered syndication for the first time. And I went to a free a free uh, event in New York City. And I said, oh, you know what? This sounds pretty good. I said, I can use the skills I already have. I can do the deals that I want to do. And I can use other people's money because commercial real estate always interested me a lot more than residential. You know, there, there, there certainly is a lot of skill in residential, a lot of money to be made, but it wasn't what I was used to. And it wasn't really what I wanted to be in. So the reason I started down that, that route was because I knew I didn't have the, the financial wherewithal to go out and buy commercial or multifamily properties. So when I discovered syndication, I said, okay, so I can use my knowledge, my expertise, do the deals I want and use other people's money. I said, wow, this is a score. I like this a lot. So then I started learning about that. And from, from mid 2017, you know, I, I was working part-time in syndication, at least looking at deals. And in 2019, after being at my full-time job for 14 years, I said, well, let's just hang it up here and go all in with syndication and see what happens. So that, that fast forward a little bit, and that kind of brings me to where I am now. That's awesome. So I know in your, your bio, you had mentioned that you're in eight multifamily deals right now as the general partner. And then you've, you've been able to sell a, a property as well. So you've gone full cycle. You've got that under your belt. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about the, the roles that you've played on those, those deals as active uh, partner. Sure. Well, the good news is since, that bought, since I sent you that buyer, we actually sold a second one. So now it's full cycle on two. But, awesome. Okay. Uh, so, so the roles that I primarily pay, play are on the acquisitions and the asset management sides. And you know, when you're first starting out in syndication, it's it's a lot easier to play both of those roles because you don't have as much going on. Uh, but one of the things you realize as you grow is that it gets very tough to keep both of those roles because they're both they're both really full time roles that you need to devote a lot of time and attention to. So, you know, for the first two years, I was I was focusing solely on deals because we didn't have any deals, so there was nothing to asset manage. And it took a little over two years for me to close my first deal. Uh, once I got that one done, you know, I realized I had a lot of momentum. I had some good broker relationships. So I said, let me just keep going and see if I can leverage this and, and, and get more. So that's something I've become very good with. And, and like for me, part of the reason I moved, really the largest reason I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina was that my team focuses on deals in the Southeast. We look in the Carolinas, we look in Charlotte, we look in some of the surrounding states too, but I wanted to put myself in a position where I could be close to these markets because I knew that being close would allow me to gain a competitive advantage over people who aren't. And, you know, for somebody listening to me, they say, well, can't you do this remotely? The answer is yes, but there's still advantages that come having an in-person relationship with somebody versus a phone call or an email. So, you know, I knew that if I was able to get in front of brokers, take them for lunch, you know, take them for drinks, you know, get in front of them for any, any reason I could, it would lead to an advantage. And it has. So that was really the reason that I relocated. And it's, it's you know, produced that result because it's allowed me to find deals a little bit easier. Yeah, it that's, that's absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's so important to build those those relationships. And, you know, this this industry that we're in is a relationship business, you know, so whatever we can do to, to build those relationships and build those connections, like that's, that's going to really pay off. Yep. For sure. That's awesome. So uh, as we, as we enter this time in the market with, you know, high interest rates, um, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to, 
to get loans, I think, you know, you have to, you have to raise more money as well. You can't get as much uh, loan to cost, loan to value on deals from lenders and from banks. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in underwriting right now? And, you know, what are some creative ways to try to get the returns that, that people have been seeing? Well, it, it, it's interesting. I think the biggest challenge right now is just getting deals to pencil out. And I think there's been a lot of changes in the last six to 12 months. You know, obviously it's no secret that interest rates, as you mentioned, have been a major change. So uh, on a personal note, I just don't see anything with new financing working yet. So regardless of how I try to make it work. And I think part of it is just that a lot of sellers still have pricing expectations that while they have tapered down from where they where they were, they haven't really caught up with where interest rates are. Uh, for me personally, with a lot of the deals that I'm looking at, what I find that I'm most competitive on at this point it deals with loan assumptions. So, and the reason for that is because from getting an attractive loan assumption with an interest rate in the threes, you know, it's a lot easier to make some of these deals work than if I'm looking at them with interest rates in the, the five and a half to six range. So what, what I would say is creativity is going to be very key this year on a lot of fronts. And if you're looking at smaller deals, and when I say smaller, let's say 50 units or less, then you may be able to entertain some, some creative finance strategy. You can probably use things like seller financing. You could probably use things, you know, in some cases like subject twos. So there'll be different creative strategies you can use. And I think creativity is probably going to be key to getting a lot of deals done this year. When you're looking at larger deals and for, for purposes, let's call that 50 units and up, you, you'll still have some of those creative finance strategies available, but they will be a lot less common. And the reason for that is just because of the ownership structures that many of those properties have. You know, it's easier to negotiate a, create, a seller finance or, or subject to if you're dealing with a mom and pop owner. If you're dealing with the syndicator or you're dealing with the, an institutional owner or you're dealing with an equity group, most times they're not really going to entertain strategies like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what I would say for those larger deals and what I've been telling anybody is if you have a lot of different deals to look at, Focus on the ones with loan assumptions versus the ones without, because those will probably have a higher probability of working out right now. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com, where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. What's some of the, the recent deals that you have, have done and you know, what, what do they look like? You know, how are they performing and what are you excited about on those deals? Well, so what I would share here is a lesson learned. Uh, there okay. were four deals that I bought in the first half of 2022. And at the time we bought them, they were all, you know, good deals. They had good cost basis. Obviously market conditions have changed. Uh, they were all valuing deals that we, we purchased with adjustable rate bridge loans. And even though we have, rate caps, you know, the rate cap only mitigates so much. So something I knew before, but I think this just reinforced it to the upteenth degree, is I, I've never been a big fan of adjustable rate mortgages, and I think I hate them now. So <laughs> the, the, the lesson learned there is anything I do going forward is going to have long-term fixed rate debt, even if it's a heavy value in. The only way I would do anything adjustable rate again, if there's a, if there's a really compelling reason. And, and like a really compelling reason to me is like 50 cents on the dollar. But if, it, if it's anything shy of that, I, I don't have an interest in, in doing that again. What I'm excited about is that operationally, at least on some of the properties, I think things are making a lot of progress. 
But the challenge is, you know, for anybody who bought in late 2021 or early 2022, you know, a lot of those deals got done with adjustable rate mortgages. Um, I know for our properties personally, the rent growth has been great. Truthfully, it's been exceeding our projections. The problem is with, with how fast interest rates have risen. In some cases, how much insurance premiums have gone up, because for anybody unfamiliar with that, insurance premiums have went up drastically in the last six months. Uh, and, and also with where, you know, kind of the market is as a whole, just inflation, because it's great to see rent growth rising, but the challenge is also controlling expense growth rising, because that's happened at probably an even faster clip in some cases, because everything is costing so much more. So... What I would say is I'm excited with the rent growth. I'm excited with the possibilities of, of where those deals will go in the future. Uh, but there's also some lessons learned and, and things to say, okay, let's rethink this and say, what should we do differently next time? So like right now I have a deal under contract and that deal has a loan assumption. It has a loan assumption of an agency loan with an interest rate in the threes. So that gets me excited. And I said, that that's really the, the theme that I want to focus on this year is you know, long-term fixed rate debt, ideally a loan assumption with an interest rate in the threes, that's even better. And uh, buying as many of those as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that a lot. I like that you, you're able to kind of shift gears as, as things change. I think that's really important and that's going to help you uh, with long-term success for sure. Yep. So I, I'd like to just delve a little bit deeper. You know, you said that rate caps only protect you to a certain extent. So, you know, if you can share a little bit more about, you know, what you mean by that. Yeah, so, so I'll give a practical example. So like one of the deals we bought last year with an adjustable rate mortgage, uh, I was actually just talking with one of my partners about it beforehand. You know, when we first closed on that deal, and, and that was in May, uh, late May, we wound up with our first mortgage payment, the interest amount was $39,000. So that was maybe mid-year last year. So as we record this, it's late April, 2023. Our interest payment now is 94,000, which is a big difference. And so that's on a monthly basis? That's on a monthly basis. So, so we do have a rate cap, thankfully. The rate cap, you know, for instance, this most recent month is going to give us $25,000 of relief. So what that means is even though the interest payment is 94,000, we'll get 25,000 back, which will really put our exposure at 69,000. But the caveat is, you know, it started at 39, now we're at 69, that's a big gap. And, and then on top of that, you know, there's also, you know, the rate cap we bought, the loan's a three-year loan, the cap's a, a two-year cap, so we still have to buy it for one more year. So the lender's escrowing for that. So it's an additional $17,000 a month for escrowing for the year three cap because cap rates have gotten very expensive. So, so, so why do I say all this? Well, I say it because you should buy a cap. You know, if you're doing an adjustable rate loan, most lenders are going to require it now, and very smartly so. But you need to understand that having the cap isn't an end-all deal because there's still going to be some exposure you'll have. So you need to be careful with that. And when you're underwriting, it's probably a good idea to underwrite the loan for whatever the maximum exposure you're going to have is. Yeah, that's really wise advice. So just to kind of describe that for the listeners a little bit more. So what he's saying is uh, in the underwriting, you know, you you have the ability with a, a rate cap to uh, be able to benefit if the interest rates go down. 
but he's saying for the underwriting's sake, you want to underwrite as if the rate cap was maxed out and the int uh, interest rate was as high as it could be for the, the life of duration of the property. Right. Yep. So I know, I know you've talked a little bit about lessons learned already, and we've talked about some recent deals. Uh, what other lessons learned do you have uh, for, for real estate entrepreneurs and investors, whether passively or actively? So what I would say is for anybody on the active side, um, there's a lot of money in the syndication space. None of that money is at the beginning. And the reason I say that is because if, if you're looking to play the long game, syndication is a great space to be. You know, th there will be some hardship, but that's going to be with anything that's, go that's going to lead to success in life. So you need to be willing to weather the storm and to see the bigger picture. For anybody passively investing, and I'm sure that many of them realize this after the past year or year and a half with a lot of deals that probably didn't go as planned, uh, you need to be extra careful when you're vetting the, the sponsors you're investing with, and you need to be extra careful looking at the deals that you're considering investing in. So the, the challenge in many cases is that people underwrite things differently. So one person considers conservative, another person considers aggressive. So you need to figure out what one, what your own personal risk tolerance is. And two, if you believe the assumptions that the, the that the sponsor is giving you. If you don't, then they can show you whatever returns you want. But if the assumptions behind them aren't realistic and you don't believe they can hit them, then the probability of them delivering that, that return to you is very low. Uh, whereas if they're putting forth reasonable assumptions and you believe that those are typical for what, for what that market bears, then there's probably a pretty good chance that you'll get paid. Yeah, I think that's super wise advice. Um, last question for you. What is your proudest accomplishment so far? Proudest accomplishment so far? Good question. Uh, at this point, it would probably be weathering the storm through a couple adjustable rate mortgages, realizing that there's better times ahead and and just kind of preparing for the upcoming buying opportunity. You know, what, what gets me excited is that 2023 and 2024 are probably going to present a lot of really good buying opportunities. So I would say my, my greatest accomplishments actually still to come. I, I hope it's not, mm. not come just yet. Uh, but looking forward to the future and the opportunities that it presents, you know, I think I'm in a good position experience-wise and, and with the network I have to be able to go out there and, and capitalize on it. So I think it's really the relationships I've built and the experience I've gained more than a single accomplishment at this point. Yeah, I really like that. I, I haven't had a lot of people say that their best is yet to come. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the way that I look at this, you know, with me quitting my job a few months ago now, like I'm I'm getting I'm getting reps every single day. You know, I'm I'm talking to brokers, I'm touring properties, I'm underwriting, I'm talking to investors, you know, I'm educating, you know, and, and just getting prepared and, and ready. You know, when that flood of of good deals does, you know, just open up. Yep. And they'll be coming. So it's a good time to get ready for it. Absolutely. Well, Charles, hey, it's great to have you on today. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? Sure. What I'll do is I'll give you a link tree link and you can include that in the show notes. Now I'll have all my different points of contact. Yes, sir. Well, Charles, thank you so much. It was great to have you on. Likewise. Pleasure to be here. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. 
And remember, money really does grow on trees. 